Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. I'm excited because when I come to uh, chapters in the Bible that are full of names, uh, I preach a very similar sermon that you're going to hear today because I get excited because I think God is trying to tell us something. So you may have heard some of these things before that I'm going to say, but a list is here for our purposes. And I want to start out by telling you about a book I read. A book I read a few years ago, I doubt many of you have read it unless you were a teenager at the time. Uh, there was a book called The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. And it's the story of two teenagers in love, and both of them are facing the reality of dying young of cancer. The main guy is named Augustus Waters. And he has some pretty deep disappointments of not being able to live this life of greatness and, and accomplish big things that will live on in his legacy. He, he wants to live a, leave a mark in this world. And what bothers him the most is being another unremembered casualty in the ancient and inglorious war against disease. But his girlfriend... Her name is Hazel Grace Lancaster. There's no relation to me. It's a made-up book. Uh, she didn't seek this hero mentality, but sought to live this simple life of, of noticing the good things in the world and, and loving those near to her. Now, many of us, including me, can appreciate the simplicity uh, of Hazel Grace to be content to play our small part on this earth, but most of us have often have this mindset of Augustus Waters that we want to accomplish great things. We want to accomplish big, big things so that when we leave this earth, we leave a legacy or people will be impacted by what we did and they may remember us and they may remember our names and we just want to kind of like be known. And so we read the Bible and we get so excited about stories of Moses and David and Deborah and Esther and Peter and Paul. And many of us think, yes, that's exactly the way I want to be. I want to be a Bible hero. I want to make a huge gospel impact. And I hate to break it to you. Most of you are not going to be a hero. Most of you will live your life, pass off the scene, and billions will have never heard of you. And you're like, well, that's really depressing. But I want to tell you something. The good news is that it's okay because that's part of God's plan. He has set it up that way. Rather than advancing his mission and work through heroes, God has chosen to use a corporate people called the church. I'm going to say it again. Rather than advancing his mission and work through heroes, God has chosen to use a corporate people called the church. And this might not sit well with many of you who want to be the hero, who want to be the standout, but God has called every single person in here, the church, to advance his mission in the world. And it's part of that corporate reality that we are seeing in Nehemiah chapter 3. We are seeing normal people play a part 
and the advancement of God's plan and God's kingdom. So as you have Nehemiah 3 opened up before you, it's very simple what it is. It's a list of those who started to repair the gates that were destroyed uh, when Babylon came in many, many years before. And it's a list of those who worked on the walls who are now, now turned into rubble. And, and sometimes when we see lists like this, we kind of want to turn the page and move on and ignore them. But we need to ask the question, why is this list here? Why is it here in the Bible? Well, I think the list is here to kind of show us that God is advancing his plan through normal people. And no one, no one at all is worthless and no one should be pushed to the side. And the main thing you get in your head is no one is irrelevant in the work of God. There's not a single person in here who's irrelevant. God's got a plan for you. And if you were there during that time, you'd be working on that wall right by your house. And I'm hoping everyone in here is doing some type of wall work, fixing those gates, being part of the kingdom of God, because no one in here is irrelevant in the work of God. God has a plan to use you because he advances his kingdom, not just through these well-known Bible heroes, but also through normal people. And most of us in here, including me, are just a normal dude and a normal girl, and we're just here to be a part of God's kingdom. And so as we go through this list, I want to keep us kind of organized. We're going to talk about the people. We're going to talk about the movement of their work. And then we're going to talk about the holdouts. So the people in here, uh, the movement as they're getting the work done, and the holdouts. So let's start with the people. Now, I won't be able to do the names as good as Jim because he researched all the Hebrew background of all these names. So. No, right, yeah. All right. Nehemiah 3, verse 1. Then Elisha, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the tower of the hundred and the tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. So Nehemiah has rallied the people to work, and they start to work, believing that this is God's will, because the walls were needed for the protection of Jerusalem and their security, but also the walls were needed to bring glory to God, as this is his people, they're no longer going to be a disgrace to the nations. So people are working on the walls, they're working on their gates, and they're working in unison. And if you are all four numbers, there are 38 people named. There are 42 different groups and many others because one person could not do all this work, but it could happen if they all work together. Now notice in verse one, the priest. Then Elisha, the high priest, arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. So the priest got their hands dirty and notice also the temple workers, if you want to jump down to verse 26. Verse 26 says, The temple servants living in Ophel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate toward the east and projecting tower. So they didn't just concern themselves with these religious rituals and religious work, but these priests are getting after it and they're, they're getting their hands dirty and doing the work. And also with them are the rulers and officials. Skip back to verse 12. We're going to be all over the place today. Skip back to verse 12. Next to him, 
Shalom, the son of Halashash, the official of half the district of Jerusalem, made repair he and his daughters. So you have this official of the half the district of Jerusalem is getting dirty, making repairs along with his daughters. Interesting. Now look at verse 16 and 17. We're going to see some more rulers and priests involved. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, official of half the district of Beth Zur, made repairs as far as a point opposite the tombs of David and as far as the artificial pool and the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites carried out repairs under Rahum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, the official of half the district of Kelak, carried out repairs for his district. So we have the religious leaders and we have the civil leaders that are doing the work. They do not think that they're too important and they're too awesome as religious folk to do the menial work. The civil leaders do not think they're too important. And this reminds me of, of a book I read. The book is called H3 Leadership. Uh, Brad Lominick wrote this book called H3 Leadership. And in it, he tries to emphasize that leaders, true leaders, he says, are to be humble, stay hungry, and always hustle. And I would say these, these leaders during Nehemiah's time are leading from a place of humility. They're hungry for the Lord and they're hustling to get the work of God done. And I tell you, we need to understand that God has called leaders to humble themselves, to be hungry for the Lord and to get the work done. They, they do not see themselves as above, but they dug in and they cranked the work just like the rest. So that's the officials and the priests, but let's consider the laity, the normal people, so to speak, the non-religious or civil officials. Let's look at verses three and four. Now the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next to them, Merimoth, the son of Ariah, the son of Hakaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshalom, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabal, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. These are just normal, everyday Jewish people working on the gates and working on the, on the walls. And their work they did matter to God. They played a part in God's work. They were not religious officials. They were not civil officials. These are your common, good, loving neighbors getting involved and working on the walls and on the gates. And, and I would say the same within the body of Christ. Does it matter if you're a leader or not? Those who are part of the laity, the non-religious important people that everybody says they're not important staff, the laity, they're getting the work done. This past Thursday, I saw a group in this church building walls. Now, not literally, but I saw a group of men Thursday morning praying and planning. I peeked into the room and there was a group of men called Gideons in that room just right over there. And they were using their money, their time, and their talents to build walls, build the walls of the kingdom locally, nationally, and globally. Non-religious folk, non-seminary, by the way, you don't have to have a seminary degree <laughs> to impact the world. These are just men that are just there say, God, use us 
and they're working on the walls and Bibles are going out, the gospel is going out, people are getting saved and God is using them to build the walls. Non-religious, normal people, the world and the Bible often calls the laity, getting it done. Well, let's go on to the creatives. Any creative people in here? Well, let's just look at the creative people. Look what they're doing. Verse eight. Next to him, Aziel, the son of Harai, of the goldsmiths made repairs. And next to him, Hanani, one of the perfumers, made repairs, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now, you have the work of these goldsmiths and perfumers, uh, usually their work is usually clean. It's usually intricate where they're working with gold and perfume. But right here, they're getting dirty. You have very creative people working to get dirty because that's the work that needed to be done. None of this work was beneath them because God is advancing his plan and using all people to do the dirty work, even those who are very creative continue on. This is kind of where it gets to some of the best part as you start to see some of the movement. So all the work began at the sheep gate and it rotated counterclockwise back to the sheep gate. Now we're not going to read all this, so you just got to follow with me. In verses one and two, it talks about the sheep gate. Now the sheep gate is where the animals will come in and out, including the sacrificial animals for the city. Verses three through five talk about the fish gate. Now, the fish gate is where you would bring in fish from the sea. Verses 6 to 12 talk about the old gate. Are, are you guys thinking about the village right now? West gate, East gate, Denville gate, Balboa gate, Glacipoa gate, Cortez gate. Yeah, like some of them break down like often. Got to fix those gates. Verse 13, valley gate. Verse 14, dung gate. How would you like to work on that gate? <laughs> this is where the garbage and the refuge would come in and out of the city. Verses 15 through 27 is the fountain gate that led to the pools and the springs. And verses 28 to 32 is the horse gate. Um, so we just kind of went a whole loop. We went circling back all the way to the sheep gate. We just went around the city counterclockwise. And, and none of these gates are functioning like they should be, but they're all down. And so the people have a vision to fix them, to bring them up for the glory of God. Now get this, the people working on the walls, working on the gates, do they know that many years down the road, a Messiah is going to come into that city? They probably have some inkling of that, but not completely. A Messiah is going to come into that city, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And wouldn't it be so awesome just to, just to step back and look and go, wow, all that work that people were doing on these walls and on these gates, many years later, the Messiah is going to come on the scene. And to think that we play some part in this world of welcoming the Messiah, ushering in the Messiah so other people can know Jesus and his life and death and resurrection, that somehow all of us played this small part and bringing the kingdom of God to bear upon this earth so people can know Christ. I think that is pretty amazing. And as they're working, they're, they have some movement. They have some traction. Now, once again, to me, this is the best part because it starts to talk about side-by-side -side work. Boy, this, I'm going to fly through this. Verse 2, it says, Next to him the men of Jericho built. 
Verse four, next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah. Verse seven, next to them. Verse eight, next to him. Verse nine, next to them. Verse 10, next to them. Verse 12, next to him. Verse 16, after him. Verse 17, after him. Verse 18, after him. Verse 19, next to him. Verse 20, after him. Verse 21, after him. Verse 22, after him. 23, after them. 24, after him. Verse 25, after him, verse 27, after them, verse 29, after them, and after him, verse 30, after him twice, and verse 31, after him. Are you getting the point? The phrase is used over 20 times. They are working in unison for the glory of God, side by side, different people. You've got some officials working next to some religious folk, working next to some people, normal folk, working on this gate, working on this wall. They're all named side by side, working in unison for the glory of God. That's really cool. But there was one group that were the holdouts and they refused to work. How would you like to have your name remembered for that? Look at verse five. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Huh. (laughs) So you have these nobles who don't want to submit or support the work of the common man. Apparently the common man was in charge of this and they didn't want their constituents as their masters. They were full of pride and arrogance and they are the only ones who are not getting the work done. It's like a, a quote I wor- once heard that I like work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. Not the church. My brothers and sisters, we are not spectators. You do not come here and think, okay, here's the church. I'm here. Okay, pastor, entertain me. Music, entertain me. And if I like it, I'll say, good job. Well done. I'm a spectator. Thank you very much. But if you don't like it, you'll critique. You'll be negative. And you think that we're supposed to like come in and we are just offering this service as you're the spectators and we're, we're the entertainers and we're just going to watch. No, it's not like that. God has not called you to be a fan. He's not called you to sit into the stands and watch what everybody else is doing. Every single person is in the game, so to speak. We're all together to be working on the walls and building the kingdom. We're all to be involved in God's work of what he has planned for us to accomplish on this earth as a community. And he's called this local body called Village Bible Church to have an impact on this village. Gospel impact on this nation, gospel impact on this world as we move in unison together. And you think, well, well, did these people accomplish much? Yeah, guess what? They finish the work on the walls in 52 days. They cranked it. I mean, they just stayed at it. They're all working together for the glory of God. They're moving together. 
Now, I know some of us struggle with this idea of this corporate reality of, of, of us working side by side, getting the work of the kingdom uh, of done. And it's, it's hard because we grow up in America, we're pretty individualized and focused on ourselves. We, we, we shop at the best you know, stores, we, we eat at the best restaurants that kind of serve us and we'll hop from restaurant to restaurant. If it doesn't work, we'll hop from store to store. And unfortunately, we hop from church to church. Why? Because it's all about us. And that church doesn't fit me as an individual. Then I'm gonna hop, 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 hop. Pastor say something I don't like, I'm gonna out of here. Something happens, I'm out of here. So we're very focused on self. We're supposed to be focused on the corporate reality called the church. One of the best sermons I've heard over the last 10 years is by a guy named Andrew Wilson. And he talks about something called individualitis. Individualitis. And the problem is that many of us suffer from individualitis. And individualitis is when we want everything about me, the focus on me rather than on God's church. And he says, Seven ways you can tell if you suffer from individualitis. And I found it helpful. I'm going to close the, the uh, sermon with these seven ways. And you just let it hit however it wants to hit. And don't get mad at me if God is convicting you. That's your issue, not mine. Here we go. How to tell if you suffer from individualitis. Number one, you think I have a destiny rather than we have a destiny. If you think I have a destiny, you've watched way too many Disney movies where it's all about your personal destiny. And yet God has a plan in this world and he's advancing this plan in this world through his church. The church has a corporate destiny. Number two, you read the Bible and think, this is for me rather then this is for us. Uh-oh. Now, you do want to read the Bible and you want to make personal application, but at times, we often leave out the promises of God to the people of God and we misapply or we just take verses out of context that have nothing to do with you as an individual. For example, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You're like, that's on my refrigerator. But that's not an isolated promise to you as an individual. It's a promise to the people of God. And so when you read the word of God, you got to look at the context and you got to pull away and say, huh, God is talking about a people. And in that context, he's got a plan for his people, Israel, to bring them back to the land. We've got to be very careful as we're reading the word because we can make it all about us as an individual rather than us as the people of God. Number three, you view the church as optional and not essential. I love Jesus, just not his church. That's like me saying, I love you, but I hate your wife. Who's his bride? This is bride. The church is the bride of Christ. It's not like we can just throw it away. In this past year, 
Unfortunately for many churches, it's not even been an option. They've been shut down. It's just the way it was set up. And now that church is, is back and people can gather again across the country and across the world, many people are like, eh, I'm going to sit this one out. Not just on Sunday morning, but all during the week. I'm just going to sit this one out. Now, I understand all the health things. I get that. And that's totally fine. I understand that. But we should never say church is an option. This is life. You need your brothers and sisters. You need, this is essential for you to thrive. It's a corporate reality. We need one another. We need to be side by side working on these walls. Number four, you suffer from individualitis if you think, I have this gift, how will the church use it? Rather than the church has this need, how can I serve it? Often people will show up and say, this is my gift, let's go. How are you going to use me? And I'm going to say, well, we have lots of needs. How about you plug into there? No, it's not my gift. For example. For example. Let's like examples. For example. We have a need right now. We have a need of nursery workers. And we've put out that offer of help. We need it. Help, help with nursery. Help with nursery to three, four, five hundred people. And what we've got back is crickets. Nothing. You're like, well, I'm not very gifted with babies. I I can't do that as many years. We have a need. It's not your gift. That's okay. We have a need. We have needs being filled all around the church. And we have these needs that we need filled. You're like, well, that's not my gift. I don't remember. I've never done it. We need help. We have people show up once a month to to get the newsletter, to get it to your house. You don't really know who they are because they're just serving behind the scenes. We have a guy in this church who right now is counting every single item in this building for inventory. That's a lot of work. That's not glorious work. You don't even know who that is. We have a variety of people filling needs within the body of Christ so we can function as a body of Christ. Yes, we all have gifts, but a lot of times we just need to jump into the need. Talk to Jim Neal about signing up for the nursery. All right, let's get that one. Number five, you believe that the gospel is just for you and never in terms of people, Israel, or the church. Yes, there is personal salvation in Jesus, but God came to redeem a people, right? In the Old Testament, we read about him calling his people Israel. In the New Testament, he's calling and gathering the church. It's not just about you. Number six, evangelism is just you alone rather than with the whole church. Now, this is very important. Many people will think evangelism is just like, okay, pastor, get your fishing pole and go out and start fishing for men and women. Just do your work, pastor. And yet, what's it, what's it like? It's more like every single person being involved and we have these big old nets where we're catching lots of fish. It's just not about you and your individual pole. All of us are involved with these nets where we're catching lots of fish together. And lastly, perhaps you believe that culture change happens as great men rise up and change history rather than complex networks of people bringing about change. Now, there absolutely is great men and women doing wonderful things in history. But it's not as if the rest of us just sit back and do nothing. We all are to be involved in cultural change as we function as the body of Christ, bringing the truth and the gospel to the world. 
And Andrew Wilson concludes by saying this, don't ask, what am I doing to pack the world for God? Don't ask that. What am I doing to impact the world? But rather, what are we doing to impact the world for God? We will partner today. We will partner with the Gideons today. We will do this together to get the gospel out rather than saying, it's just my little thing. No, we will do this. We will get the gospel out because destiny is corporate. And it'll be awesome if this vision captured your heart because all of us must build the walls. All of us must do the work together of the wall in front of us because we are welcoming the Messiah. We are bringing Jesus to a lost world and every single person matters. No one in here is irrelevant in the work of God. You got the wall in front of you. You know the kingdom call in front of you. You know what you're to do to obey corporately, individually. Get after it. Start working for the glory of God. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.